the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. When you experience that kind of peace and contentment in knowing Christ, then your soul is restored. And that word restoration, as we talked about, it's used like when you have a hobby of restoring old cars or restoring old furniture. You take that which is old and that which might be otherwise discarded and you restore it, you make it brand new. That's the way the Lord works in our lives. He takes messed up, broken down people and he restores us. He restores our souls and he makes us whole again and new again. And that only comes in him. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. God restores our souls. In today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches us through Psalms 23 that God restores our souls. God is able to take messed up and broken down people and restore them to completeness, just as if someone was to restore an old car. God does the same thing for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. When we believe in Jesus, we will experience the wholeness, peace, and contentment that comes through knowing Him. Whatever is in your past, God can make all things new if you place your trust in Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 23 for part one of today's message titled, The Song of a Shepherd, part three of three. Today we're going to be finishing a three-part series through the 23rd Psalm. So this is part three of three. Some of this will be review, but I want to make sure that we're all on the same page as we bring this chapter to a conclusion. We've entitled this series, The Song of a Shepherd. Again, this is part three, the last part, looking at the last couple of verses. All of Psalm 23 was written as an analogy, an analogy that we are like sheep and that the Lord is like a shepherd who lovingly, tenderly cares about us. David wrote Psalm 23 long before he was a king. He was first a shepherd. So he knows a thing or two about sheep, about their disposition, about their likes and their dislikes, their habits. And he knows a thing or two about shepherds, seeing as he once was one. So he writes Psalm 23 from that angle as a former shepherd who understands sheep. And because most of us are not as familiar with sheep and shepherds, uh, we have a lot to learn from David's insights. So we've talked a little bit about what sheep are, 
like in terms of their habits and dispositions so that we can better appreciate Psalm 23. If you don't understand sheep a little bit, you won't be able to appreciate the richness of what David is writing here. So as we've been mentioning over the last few weeks, sheep basically are senseless, defenseless, fearful, and dirty animals. And we went into great detail about all of this, so I won't rehash it, but just enough to say that the qualities and characteristics of a sheep make it such that they become naturally dependent and have a close bond with their shepherd. Especially the first three, that being senseless, defenseless, and fearful, caused the sheep to cling to their shepherd and to have a close bond with their shepherd. And that's exactly what God wants with us. This is why David is writing this. God wants us to have a close bond with him and to understand our dependence upon him. Uh, Sometimes we pride ourselves in being rather independent people, self-made people. And that's good to a limit. But ultimately, if we don't understand our our dependence upon the Lord, we're going to go through life trying to be super independent and find out just how hard life is without God. And so God wants to be that shepherd for us. He wants to lovingly, tenderly care for you and for me. And so David is writing here a very personal psalm to a personal God. And that's the kind of way that we should see this 23rd psalm. God is personal and knowable. Again, I quoted a few weeks ago from Mahatma Gandhi, who said, God is that impersonal something that we all feel, but which we cannot know. And Gandhi was wrong. God is knowable. God is personable, and we can have a relationship with him. That's why Jesus starts the Lord's prayer, our father, which is in heaven, right? Because he is our father. He's a tender, loving Lord. And seen through Psalm 23, he's he's our good shepherd. So I'm going to read again from Psalm 23. I'm going to read all of it, all six verses. Again, reading from the New King James Version because it's such a classic psalm that it needs King James to sound right to our ears. And so here we go. Psalm 23, verse 1, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, again, just to kind of get a running start to the last few verses, let's start again and just have a quick summary of where we've come so far. First part of verse 1, David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. We emphasize the pronoun my because David is expressing a personal relationship here with the shepherd, that the Lord is not some distant God, some impersonal force, or some far-removed being, but he is personable, knowable, and he cares about you and me individually and uniquely. And therefore, then, David can add the rest of verse 1, I shall not want. There is no need that God does not meet. And that's why David writing here says, I shall not want, because he's basically saying, I am completely satisfied with God's management of my life. That he loves me and he cares about me, he is concerned for me. And so because he is my shepherd in him, I don't have need of anything else. I mean, you could have everything and not have the Lord and lack everything. And yet, conversely, you can have the Lord and have, materially speaking, very little and yet have everything. 
Can anybody bear witness, right? And so he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't have need of anything when the Lord is my shepherd because he takes care of me and provides for me and loves me. And then David adds in verse 2, he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Of course, green pastures and still waters are indicative of solitude. It's a picture of contentment. And that is exactly the way we are when we know the Lord. There is this contentment that overrides all other kinds of discontentment and all other kinds of unsettledness in our lives. When we have Him, there is just this peace and this contentment. It's the green pastures and the still waters that He brings to our soul. Which is why then David adds, He restores my soul. Because when you experience that kind of peace and contentment in knowing Christ, then your soul is restored. And that word restoration, as we talked about, it's used like when you have a hobby of restoring old cars or restoring old furniture. You take that which is old and that which might be otherwise discarded, and you restore it. You make it brand new. That's the way the Lord works in our lives. He takes messed up, broken down people, and he restores us. He restores our souls, and he makes us whole again and new again. And that only comes in him. And then last week, we looked at the other part of verse 3 and into verse 4. Verse 3, the ending part of it says that he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Talking here about how when we follow the Lord, he leads us on a good path. It is a safe path. It 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 is a path that is smooth. It is a good path. Unlike the path that we're on before we know the Lord, we're on a destructive path. We're on a hopeless path. We're on a a path that does not lead to anything that is good or right or pleasant. But with him, with the Lord, he leads us in paths of righteousness. He leads us on the right path. And he leads us for his name's sake. God does not take us on a good path predicated on our goodness, but on his goodness. It is because of his unchanging nature. His reputation is on the line here. He says, I I lead you in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. Not because there's anything about us that we should deserve the goodness of the Lord, but it is on the basis of his goodness and his mercy that he leads us on the right path. And then first part of verse 4, David writes, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And we talked last week about how the valley of the shadow of death is a real valley in Israel. It was nicknamed that. It's situated along the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Nicknamed the valley of the shadow of death because it was there that often bandits and thieves would perch on the ridge top to attack you and to rob you and sometimes kill you and leave you for dead as you would make your pilgrimage from Jericho to Jerusalem. And David says, yea, though I walk through this valley, I will fear no evil. Because why? Because the Lord is with me. And there are many valleys that we will go through in our lifetime, sometimes even fearing death itself. But the greatest consolation and comfort that comes to the sheep is when they are in the presence of the shepherd. And the greatest peace and consolation will come to us when we know that our good shepherd will never leave us nor forsake us. And no matter what valley you might be going through, yea, though I walk through the valley of you fill in the blank, I will fear no evil because our good shepherd is with us. And he is with us, the rest of verse 4, with your rod and your staff. They comfort me. And we talked about how the rod is like a club that the shepherds would use to defend the sheep. Again, some interpret that passage to mean that God comforts us by disciplining us. And and certainly there is 
plenty of places in Scripture where God disciplines those whom he loves. But the context of this is it's the comforting part of the shepherd that is being emphasized here. The rod and the staff, they comfort me. And they comfort me because God will use, in, in essence, like a shepherd, he will use his rod to protect us. And he will use his staff to rescue us. The staff, again, was used because the shepherds would use the crook end of the staff to reach down in a ravine and to hook the sheep that have fallen into a ravine, because they're kind of senseless animals, and would hook them to bring them back up to safety. So picture your good shepherd as one who defends the weak, that's the rod, and rescues the fallen, that's the staff. He is the defender of the weak. He is the rescuer of the fallen. And that is our good shepherd. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. So that's where we left off. And now today we're going to look at verses 5 and 6. If you look in your Bibles to the first part of verse 5, David writes here, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now this does not mean that God is going to make you have dinner with people you don't like. I don't know how you've ever thought about that verse. I can tell you years ago, I remember thinking the imagery in my mind was this. That, you know, in heaven, God is going to spread this beautiful banquet table. And he's going to put us on one end. He's going to put people that you don't get along with on the other end of the table. But they made it to heaven too. But you never got along with them. And, and now you're going to have to eat together. And so, you know, it's wonderful food because you're, you're Jesus' guest. And Jesus is going to put out the best spread. And so you're at one end of the table, and, you're, and as you're eating, you're kind of looking over your fork at the people you don't like at the other end of the table. And you're like, well, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Oh, well. Now, that's not what this means. So I want you to get that picture out of your head. If you felt like I did years ago, looking at this passage, and it, God wants us just to tolerate people we don't like because we're all going to get to heaven who know Jesus, whether you like them on earth or not. As long as they know Jesus, they're going to be there at the other end of the table. All right, now, circle the word table in your Bibles. And in the margin, I want you to write the word plateau, plateau. Because the word table here, we have to understand it through the eyes of a shepherd. This does not mean a wooden piece of furniture like you and I think about how we pull ourselves up to eat a meal. That's not the kind of table that is spoken of here. When he writes here about a table, he's speaking about where sheep graze. He's talking about a plateau, a grassy plateau on the hillsides. Now, again, I quoted from Philip Keller last week. He wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. It's a great commentary on the 23rd Psalm. And Keller himself was a shepherd, and he wrote this. He said, quote, In some of the finest sheep country of the world, especially in the western United States and southern Europe, the high plateau of the sheep ranges were always referred to as mesas, which in Spanish means tables. Amen? Hermana? See? Si? Tables. Mesas. So the, the sheep would often graze on mesas. So that's what he means here when he's talking about the tables. God prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. I want you to picture what David is describing here is a green flat plateau where sheep could graze without fear of their enemies. Now, who were the enemies of the sheep? Three primary enemies of the sheep were wolves and lions and coyotes. And all three are mentioned in the Bible, but coyotes in the Bible are referred to as jackals in Scripture jackals but you have wolves you have lions and you have jackals and they were the ferocious enemies of the sheep again sheep one of the qualities where they are defenseless 
And because they're defenseless, they have no natural ways to defend themselves. They have no growl, no fangs, no claws. They, they, they can't run fast. They can't hide very well. They drown in water. And so they're kind of clumsy animals and defenseless. And, and so they are often hamstrung, I don't know, la- lamb chop strung by, by ferocious animals. In fact, even just in the United States... According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, in the United States, predators accounted for 31% of all sheep and lamb deaths. Over 250,000 sheep, on average, are killed by predators, and it costs farmers and ranchers over $20 million a year because predators killing off sheep. So understand, when David says here, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, he is describing sheep who graze in peace on the plateaus, even though they're in the presence of their enemies, with lions and wolves and jackals on the ridgeline. Why? Why can they graze in peace even though they're in the presence of their enemies? Because their good shepherd protects them. He looks out for them. Now, there's an interesting parallel here, isn't there? Our great enemy, our great predator, is Satan. And the Bible refers to Satan as like a lion, just like one of the main predators of sheep are lions. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, we are warned, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith. So the Bible describes for us a predator as well. That the enemy, that Satan, desires to devour you, destroy you. You get that, right? He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your kids. He wants to destroy everything about your life. He wants to destroy our church. He's on the prowl like a roaring lion. Now, that said, he is a real enemy. He's a formidable foe. But our good shepherd is stronger still. And even our strongest enemy is no match for the power of God. And yet the warning is, be self-controlled and alert, because you've got to be prepared. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith. So there is a responsibility that we have, but please know that it is your good shepherd who is looking out for you. Jesus himself will protect you, and thus he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies, and you can rest in peace, because... He who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And though our predators are purged on the ridgetop, the enemy himself, because Jesus even warned us, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So we can feast at the table, even though we're in the presence of our enemies, because our good shepherd looks out for us. Psalm 121, 7 to 8, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Well, the second part of verse 5, David adds, you anoint my head with oil. Now, in the New Testament, there are examples, uh, sorry, in the Old Testament, there are examples of priests and kings being anointed with oil. And the oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit, still is in the New Testament. And it was kind of indicative of setting this person apart for the purpose of God. It was uh, the administering olive oil as a, an anointing of consecration. Okay, That's not, though, what is meant here in Psalm 23. What is meant here in Psalm 23 is this. The two main tormenting factors in a sheep's life 
were flies and parasites. In fact, there were these specific nasal flies that would torment sheep by entering their nostrils and burrowing up into their sinuses and laying larvae, as well as parasites would get into the ears of the sheep. And what would happen is that when sheep would be so tormented by these nasal flies and parasites, you could actually see them beating their heads against trees and rocks, trying to get some relief from their torment. And a lot of times, sheep will inadvertently kill themselves, banging their heads against a tree, trying to get relief. So now I want you to picture in the language of a shepherd here. He says, you anoint my head with oil. Because when a shepherd would see his sheep in such a tormented state, the shepherd would take the sheep into his arms and would apply olive oil to the head of this animal. In Hebrew, the word for olive oil is shemen. And he would put olive oil in the ears and around the nose of the sheep and over the head of the animal because olive oil was a natural resistant for uh, against flies and parasites. It was a repellent. And so it brought the sheep relief and comfort. Now, think about this again in terms of ourselves and the comparison. The Lord is our shepherd. What does this mean? He anoints our heads with oil. Well, again, in the Bible, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, in John 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit is referred to as our comforter. Some translations say counselor. It is that Greek word parakletos. It means the one who comes alongside of us. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He is the one who comes alongside of us to win us over. You know, you don't come to faith in Jesus Christ just only the exercise of your own intellect. It is also the work of God's Spirit bearing witness to your intellect that you respond to the truth of who Jesus is. But it is a work of God's Spirit in us that begins to move our hearts to say yes and amen to the Lord. Okay, now... The Holy Spirit is with us, bringing us into faith. But then when we come to receive Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in us. And by the way, there's a whole other work of the overflowing, baptizing work of the Holy Spirit. But understand the parallel here from Psalm 23. That in a similar way that a shepherd loves to anoint the head of the sheep to bring comfort and relief, God, by His Spirit, has saturated us that we might experience relief and comfort for some of the most tormenting things that we experience in life. God loves to bring relief and comfort to our tormenting times. He sees you beating your head against that tree, and he is intimately acquainted with our suffering and our grief. In fact, in Isaiah 53, 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And in Isaiah 66, 13, it says, As a mother comforts a child, so I will comfort you, says the Lord. I want you to read this passage and think about how much the Lord desires to comfort you in the midst of what you're going through. He sees the tormenting times of our lives. And like a good shepherd, he anoints us, he saturates us with his Holy Spirit to bring comfort to us. Paul, in describing the Lord, would write in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, that he is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That's who God is for us. You anoint my head with oil. Lord, you are the one who comforts me and brings relief to me in some of the most difficult times in my life. David goes on to write the rest of verse 5, my cup runs over. 
All right, something that overflows is indicative of abundance and excess. It's having more than enough. That's the imagery that he's trying to portray here. My cup runs up with the Lord. He makes everything in abundance for my life. Now, I know, I, I understand the reality. Sometimes life takes its toll, and sometimes you feel like your cup is empty, don't you? And that is a reality that all of us will go through from time to time. But I just want to remind you that the Lord is the one who will fill up your cup. And when you feel like your cup is empty, you continue to cling to the Lord because He is the one who will fill your cup to overflowing. Each psalm we read is intended to point us to one thing, the sovereignty of our Creator. Through pain, tears, joy, and praise, we meet a new characteristic of God with each new chapter. Though we don't know the melodies that accompany this collection of old, we benefit from the deeply passionate and poetic words. We hope your soul has been touched by the teaching you heard today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will return soon with more from this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to find additional messages at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd like to encourage you to download our mobile app while you're there so you can stay connected to God's Word wherever you happen to be. Each day can be made brighter by the love and power of our Lord. And it's so convenient to have it right at your fingertips. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, We'd love for you to come be a part of our weekly worship services on Sundays. Cornerstone Chapel meets at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each week. Or try our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For directions and more information, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today, but be sure to join us next time for another in-depth look at the Psalms right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you With every sunrise Hope is enough Don't you jump in and you'll find Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.